Hello, and welcome to the Click and Obey podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the VP debates, much better than the presidential debates, as it turns out. Uh, I only got to watch a few snippets. I was maybe caught 10 minutes of unedited, you know, just actually watching it. But Mesh, you got to catch it all. What did you think? What's up, D-Rush? Yeah, so I guess you actually had better things to do. <laughs> that's, a, that's a positive. That's a, that's a good thing. That's like a, a pro for you in, in your favor. Um, I'm a masochist, so I watch the whole thing. But um, yeah, my initial thoughts, and I think what most people think outside of, you know, media and newspapers, basically, but if you just talk to people, I think the general consensus is that Pence, un, quote unquote, won. Um, when I say win, I mean, these debates are basically a show. They're not really, um, they, they tend to, you know, throw in a fact here or there, um, and then they exaggerate on top of those facts. So truth is lost um, quite often in these debates. And so given that it's mostly a show and it's like, who's, who's showing up and putting on the best performance for their side, I think most people think that Pence probably won this one. Um, I will say this, like the, it was kind of what you expected. So we've seen Kamala debate. We've seen her, she's kind of a knockout artist in some ways. Like uh, we, we've seen her, you know, totally gut Biden. We've also seen her, um, you know, overreach and then get counterpunched by Tulsi. Um, that's what we saw in the pri primary debates. And um, in this one, she was, she was much the same. You know, she brought a lot of fierceness and her the attitude that you've seen in, in the previous debates. Um, and right off the bat, she went after Pence. Pence, you know, everyone knows about his background as a uh, talk show radio host, um, a conservative talk show radio host. And he kind of brought that whole vibe with him, like a, like a salesman vibe, almost like a, um, like a very common collected type of vibe, um, similar to maybe Ronald Reagan was in terms of debate um, performance style. It felt a little bit like that. And uh, that seemed to work in his favor. He more or less controlled the conversation the entire time. Um, he was on the attack, actually, a majority of the time. Um, landed some blows that I don't think Kamala handled really well, although she did have a couple good moments. Um, again, in terms of performance, <laughs> I'm not speaking in terms of facts. I'll leave that to other people. You got plenty of other places where you can get that type of coverage. Click and Obey is going to... Um, take it a level deeper so yeah i it was a much better than the presidential debate but kind of like you mentioned um yeah it, it, it just it was yet another performance and i honestly don't know if it makes any difference in the polls i was doing i was trying to do a little bit of research and see like did a vp presidential debate ever really make a difference and uh, i haven't really found any evidence that it has um now 2020 is kind of crazy and i don't know Maybe this is an outlier. Maybe it does make some sort of difference. And polling is, polling right now is really hard, right? Yeah. Like polling is always biased by the population that you choose to poll and by the people that respond to it. As well and, as the climate, given yeah. how today works. Yeah, that was a big thing is like, well, those things are defected by the climate, right? And we live in a climate where I don't know um, necessarily that you're getting honest answers or, um, you know, how much silence you're being met with. So I, I don't really know if there's, if this is just yet another VP debate that has no effect or if there is actually potentially an effect from this, I guess we'll and, find out. 
And that's why I really didn't watch it right. Like Breath of the Wild seemed way better of spending my time than <laughs> to watching the VB, VP debate. The the clips I did catch. So I caught the first 10 minutes. I actually watched the first 10 this morning, just kind of looking into it. Yeah. Um, they talked about coronavirus yep. and the handling. Um, so Kamala obviously went after him for their handling and says, your own president caught it, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Pence didn't have a good response for like why they caught, like why they did these big ass events. And then obviously had an event where they basically spread it all amongst themselves. Like they don't really have a good answer for that. Um, but she also didn't have a good answer when he's like, Hey, your plan is just our plan. Like we followed what Dr. Fauci said and Dr. Um, I forget her name. I want to say Hicks, but not Hicks. Um, uh, uh, Burke. Yeah, there we go. Um, It's so it's like you're basically just following the plan that we already laid out. How is it different? And then she just deflected, and it's like, oh, because it's it's not. You would just do the exact same thing that the experts told you to do. I think Um, the uh, I think the line there was um, it looked like it felt like plagiarism. Looking at your plan, um, right? And (laughs) And Joe Biden knows a a lot about about that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that was that was the first. I think that was kind of the whole. That was the whole night basically encapsulated in that in that right there. It's like Kamala would occasionally make a point, and Pence was just an effective counterpuncher, really effective. Um, I, I think she might have underestimated him because, like, I think so too. I think I think he actually probably had his finest political moment. Looking back at him, I mean, the dude is basically the most vanilla. Uh, and I don't mean that racially, obviously. The most vanilla candidate there is out there. But yeah, he, he I think he had his biggest political moment actually last night, ever. Yeah, it's like I had never thought of him really as a 2024 contender, assuming Trump wins, right? Like I think if he right. loses, he's, he probably doesn't have a chance at it. Maybe he does. But it's like I, I actually started looking at it. It's like, oh, I guess he maybe could run for president after this at some yeah. point because he if is like – yeah, he's calm and collected. He could actually probably help. He could get some of the Trump base because he's been working for Trump, right? He, he's not going to be in that never Trumper or talk shit on him. Trump's never talked shit on him. He's never talked shit on Trump. So it's like, it'd be interesting to see in the future what he decides to do if he wants to go that route. But yeah, on, on the um, on the COVID topic. So yeah, he had some good counter punches there. And I think that was the problem. It's like Kamala gave legitimate criticism and then he he, he just came back with that. He came back with the swine flu, you know, dropping the, uh, the, what was it? The $60 million or 60 million people figure on them. Like, Hey, 60 million people got infected. And it's just a matter of luck that the death rate of that virus was lower than for COVID. Otherwise you would have had a lot of deaths on your hands. Um, and quoting, I think one of the former staff members from Obama in that. So it's, it's like, um, you know, he didn't necessarily address the points, but like his counter punches, you know, again, this is a show. So it's about, you know, who, who's scoring points. And uh, he was just stacking up points like that pretty much the entire night from what I saw. Like she would, you know, he, he, he hit her hard on the, um, you know, the, the question of the, the Supreme Court. You know, I think she That was she the other to, section I caught. And that's yeah. what I wanted to see your thought on because I... Yeah. I I so caught I, it just at, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say like, uh, I, did you catch the part where she mentioned something about Abraham Lincoln and tried to use like the Abraham Lincoln oh, thing on him? Oh yeah, that that was preposterous. I mean, yeah, I was geez. like, that one, did, was that real or was that made up? Because I've never heard that. Well, I'm actually curious. I don't know. So I was actually, I caught this through the Crowder stream. I was actually looking because I was like, yeah. well, I don't know if I'm going to watch it. Let me see if there's some comedy with it, which 
I, you can't watch a Crowder live stream on the debate. It's terrible. It is awful. Okay. I, I actually like Crowder, right? I like I like some of his segments and I like the the change my mind segments especially, but it was unwatchable. It's just he's just yelling at the TV the whole time. It's like, hey, I get that you're talking over them. I get that. But holy shit, shut up. Like you're as bad yeah. as Trump right now. Like shut the hell up. But so I'm I'm listening to this, right? And Pence talks about, well, I want to hear from you. Did you pack do you are you going to pack the Supreme Court? And then she talks about the Abraham Lincoln stuff. And he's like, I noticed you still didn't answer. Are you going to pack the Supreme Court? And she's like, well, let me talk to you about packing the, the courts. And it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, answer yeah. the question. Oh, and she did. Here's here's the thing. Um, and I don't know how many people caught this, but, like, she mentioned, like, hey, you're not appointing black people to the courts. And so you are packing the courts yourselves. And what she meant, I think, was that you're packing the court courts with white people. She mm-hmm. tried to make a racial argument there. And I thought that completely flopped. Like, I, I just, I don't know a single person that, you know, that isn't super far to the left or the right that, um, cares that about thought, the identity of the judges. Like, yeah. To that, that really, extent. yeah, that really would have, uh, vibed with that, that sentiment. So I, I mean, she flopped there. There were a couple other things too. The vaccine, they had a, they had a little segment on the vaccine. She's like, I will take the vaccine if the doctors say it's okay, but not if Trump says it's okay. And it's like, what if both say it's okay, which is the likely outcome, by the way, if you're talking about probability, like, mm-hmm. I don't think there's going to be one where like Trump says it's okay, but the companies that make it don't say it's okay. And the doctors <laughs> that are involved with it don't say it's okay. <laughs> like, I don't know what we're talking about, like a 1% scenario there, or that Trump will say no, and then everyone else says it's okay. That's another 1% scenario. I feel like there's a 98% chance that they all say it's okay at the same time. Yeah. And so, and, and then he, of course, hit her, ironically, you know, like it's not like the evangelical conservatives are known for being pro science consistently. Um, yeah. And then he hit her with the anti vax argument, and she had no good response there. Yeah. I'm going to have to watch this segment because it's just like, They've been dumb about that the whole time when they've yeah, been saying I, I, like, I oh, we, I don't trust what, what Trump says. It's like Trump is literally parroting Fauci like 99% of the time. What are you talking about? Yeah. So if Dr. Fauci I, d- like says we should have a vaccine and says the vaccines are good and run by – it's like we, we shouldn't take it because Trump said that? I don't give yeah. a fuck what Trump says. Yeah, that, that's the um, – you know, they talk about Trump derangement syndrome, and that is actually a valid instance, I think, of, of Trump derangement syndrome. You know? Yeah. That's next level. Like it's next level. Like I get it. You don't like Trump. You don't have to agree with everything he says. You know, even a broken clock is right twice a day. So even if you really hate him, he's still going to be right occasionally by chance. Like, oh, vaccine is ready. Doctors say it's okay. I'm going to co-sign on it. Or, you know, um, hey, we should take a closer look at trainings derived from critical race theory. It's like, okay, well, even a broken clock, man, even a broken clock. It just makes me think of, so you listen to Joe Rogan as well, right? I don't know if you listen to oh, as much as I do, but I, uh, I, um, might, I might, I might, listen, I might, I might uh, not to pull the uh, hipster card on you here, but I might listen to you to it more than you do. <laughs> well, then you've definitely heard him say this, right? Cause like he has a friend yeah. who went to the doctor and the doctor was like, I don't know your political affiliation, um, but hydroxychloroquine has been proven to help, you know, early on in, in the COVID fight. And he's like, my political affiliation, I'd rather just not die. Like, can we just make yeah, that? Like, can we just have this discussion about die. how do I not die? Like, yeah. Don't give yeah. a fuck about the political affiliation. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I've heard that story. It's hundred percent. Like, first of all, I do want to say just the whole I'm for science thing. 
total bullshit on everybody's part. Okay. Everybody. Like, everybody, everybody lies about that. Yeah, they lie about it. It's like, you know, what you do is you have a belief. This is what you honestly do, but you try to sell it. Otherwise, you have a belief and then you Google for scientists that line up with your belief or studies that line up with your belief. And then you say, oh, look, I'm pro-science. And you only do it case by case. And then for the ones where the science doesn't line up in your favor, at least the, you know, the, the current consensus or whatever of the scientific community doesn't line up, you, you don't mention anything about that. And so it's like, you know, you could make a fair case about, um, you know, some of the carbon emissions data and stuff like that. Like Republicans don't necessarily respect that in the way that they should. Not all of it, you know, but there's, there's good science behind some of this stuff. And they don't necessarily respect it. And uh, I'm not talking about the hyperbolic, hyperbolic stuff. That's, you know, people take that data and they say, you know, the world's going to end in 10 years. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the actual data. And then you look on the other side and then they're like, oh, sex and gender. <laughs> like we're, we don't believe in biology. Those are fake. Those yeah. Are fake news. Or, or, or like forest management. Uh, it's like, okay, well, you know, the North and Canada have all these forests and they're not burning down. I wonder why. Oh, let's go look at what they actually do. And maybe learn a lesson from our neighbors who haven't politicized how to handle a forest. It's like, oh, okay. Also look at NPR who comes out and says, oh, the California wildfires are going on right now. Primary cause, forest management, secondary cause, um, potentially climate change. That's literally yeah. NPR. So like, it's just, yeah, it's like, you know, you're not pro-science, neither of you. Um, you're different degrees of choosing science that fits your beliefs. So you're retroactively, you're reverse engineering whenever science works in favor of your beliefs um, and then trying to tell us otherwise. So it, it, it's bad. And the two, the people who act like scientists haven't been paid off before as well. Right. It's like, yeah, I believe oh, in the, in, that like some of the climate change stuff is real. Like I'm not debating that, but when people act like it's just outside the realm that any of it's fraudulent, it's like, you have heard of the sugar industry, right? Like that they yeah. paid off scientists who made mm -hmm. you now think that fat is bad and that carbs are okay, even though that's, it's basically backwards, right? It's not a hundred percent backwards, but it's basically backwards. Yeah. It's like, well, what the fuck? Like we know they did. We know they got paid off and we know that they fucked up our, our nutrition scale for years, like decades, realistically, oh, right? Yeah. And put us into a shitty spot and act like that could never have happened again. It's like, get the yeah. fuck out of here. There it's are like, oh yeah, that, that's a great example. I mean, think about it. It's like, there are multiple reasons why we have an obesity epidemic. Oh, that's another one. It's like health comes in all sizes, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Fat studies. Like, okay. Yeah. I mean, so that, that's the thing that bothers me with the people who are like pro-science, right? It's like they say, oh, 97% of scientists agree that climate change is real. And it's like, what does that mean? That's like the most nonsense statistical point I've ever seen. It's like, oh, 97% believe it's real. Okay. What happens if we got rid of it then, right? Like if we got rid of man-made, how, how many percent say that it's a degree, three degrees, 10 degrees, a hundred? Like what's What's the number? Give me the formula that says if we did this, this will happen and right. prove that it's true. And like that's, after year after year. And they that's can't. The science it, it's not possible. Yeah. yeah. That's the science we care about. Yeah. That's 100%. Um, but we do have good data. I will, I will say that in, in defense of the data. Like if you go to NASA's website, they have some excellent data. Um, they've done a lot of good job, kind of. Yeah. yeah I, and that's, that's yeah. like, I'm more just like doing the devil's advocate, right? It's like, the climate change, like I have no doubt that it's real. The question is only how do we manage it, maintain it, stuff like yeah. that. But when people act like, oh, well, the stuff we have is enough. It's like, that's fucking bullshit. Like it is that's not bullshit. true. Like <laughs> nonsense. But, but yeah, I, I want to bring it back to the debate. Um, 
Yeah, that I mean, I think you kind of get the vibe of what was going on there. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, I think you probably saw like the thing that probably got the most attention in the debate was the fly. Did you see this? So I heard about that. I was actually looking <laughs> yeah. to somebody doing the retro and they were saying, you know how you know that Pence won? Because the media focused on the fly. Oh, yeah. Well, they focused on the fly. Like, yeah. They focused on his potentially red eye. Um, they focused on... I don't know if he had a red eye or not. They focused on his wife, Karen Pence, not wearing a mask on the stage next to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also, there was a subset of media, of course, that focused on the power dynamics of a white, old white man talking over a, um, a young oh, the, black I did woman. hear about the mansplaining crowd. It's like, the oh my God, it's a fucking debate. And also, debate. if your suggestion is, is that of two VPs, one is just inherently weaker that's a problem. Like that's yeah. you're racist, but not in the way, not in the way you think. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's called the soft bigotry of low expectations. You should look that up. It's really true. It's like, here's a, you know, you might really disagree with her on most things or whatever, but you can't knock the fact that she's not accomplished, but uh, she's accomplished. Like you cannot yeah. just sit here and tell me like, she doesn't know how to handle herself in a debate. Are you kidding me? And she went after Joe Biden pretty fucking hard. And then she got slapped yeah. down by Tulsi Gabbard, known white supremacist Tulsi Gabbard, of course. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, just like Mike yeah. Pence. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you know, oh people God. who are good debaters slap her down. That just is what it is. Yeah. That's just we've seen it. Like, you know, she was at a 15 percent approval within the Democratic primaries. And then she went down to one percent and then she was gone. Like, and there's a reason for that. And it has nothing to do with racism. She was debating people like elizabeth warren oh wait she's white sorry um, uh, yeah you can't whoa 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 whoa, whoa. native american uh, elizabeth i messed warren. that up i'm sorry <laughs> i meant like tulsi and and others so um but, but yeah there, but to, that's what kind of to your point kind of made me think like okay i think generally the consensus you know once you get past the bullshit clickbaity headlines and everything is that pence probably quote-unquote won the debate so yeah. Well, and to do another form of debate, right? Because I think we're now at the time where we're going to do a transition into what we were going to do going to do today. We've been having a discussion about the debates and like the shitty format they're in this two, oh, two yeah. minutes, two minutes. And like then they talk over each other and it's ad hominem just all over the place. They don't actually oh, yeah. answer questions. Right. So we want to do our own form of debates in two forms. One is a kind of the presidential style, right? Or vice presidential, whatever you want to call it, where it's we each get two minutes and then we have, we're going to add two minutes on top of that, right? So it's like pro side starts, then rebuttal, then rebuttal to rebuttal, then rebuttal to rebuttal to rebuttal, right? And that'll be the first segment. Then we're going to do another one where we do a more long form. So we're going to do five minutes and then five minutes for the pro side, then 10 minutes for the rebuttal, and then five more minutes for the rebuttal to the rebuttal. So we're, we're each going to take a pro and anti side of the topics. The topics are UBI and the lockdowns. Yep. Um, these are not necessarily indicative of our actual positions, but it's much easier to do a, a stylistic debate if we're both anti-right. It, it'd be kind of hard if we're just like, no, I concur. I give my 10 <laughs> minutes back or t- five minutes back to you. I, I, I agree. You made some great points and I agree with all of them. <laughs> Thanks for going first. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's kind of what we're going to look at. And I'll... Um, I don't know if you've got a timer on your side, but I'll kind of time on my side and give the, the nice like flashing hand signal so so we can each oh, yeah. each kind of track what's going on. Yeah, actually, um, do you want to run the do you want to run the timers just so we have a single source of truth? Yeah, I'll run the timers and then I'll give you the the nice flashing hand for the the red light signal whenever you're getting close to time. I'll do the the fist whenever we're at like one minute to go, 
and then flashing whenever you're 15 seconds to go. And then I'll do the, the, the like cut it off as soon as we get to zero. How's that sound? Sure. Yeah. That sounds good. That sounds good. All right. All right. And I was thinking we'd go with UBI first, uh, but I'm good. Which one do you want to do? UBI or lockdowns first? Let's go lockdowns. Lockdowns. Okay. And I think yeah, you are pro on the lockdowns and uh, this will be the, the two minute back and forth that that seemed like you were expecting. Yeah. Okay. Well then let me get a timer started real quick and then we'll start with, I'll just, I'll just intro. Um, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. All right. Let me get this timer going. And then uh, you'll do pro and I'll do anti. And then uh, yeah, it's two minutes each. Uh, on lockdowns, it's uh, your pro actually. Or no, no, sorry, you're you're right. You're anti. I'm pro. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I got yeah. <laughs> I got mixed got up. It. Yeah, it's inverse. All right. So uh, to start this off, right, this first com- uh, this first debate is going to be on lockdowns. Uh, the question is, are should we be doing lockdowns? Should we be doing even harsher lockdowns than we are? Is where we're at an acceptable level? Like, what should be the level we want to do as far as like managing the COVID crisis? And I'm going to start the two minutes as of now. So we need to keep the lockdowns in place. Uh, right now, obviously, it's not actually a true lockdown. It's more of a, you know, a, a modest lockdown, as it were. Everybody should have masks. That mask mandate should continue until we have a vaccine at minimum. And even then, we have to register the caseload and make sure that's lower. Um, previously, we had to talk about whether it was deaths or cases. The fact is we've transitioned the cases because we noticed that cases cause deaths. Like, that's just a fact. You know, you know how your grandmother gets COVID? That's because somebody has a case of COVID and then gives it to your grandmother. So even if we don't have deaths that correlate, we know that cases can cause the deaths. So we have to keep up the lock, like some form of lockdown. And in fact, I'd say everywhere, we probably need to enhance it, right? Maybe in small communities, we could think about not having it, but realistically, everywhere should go back to uh, the state. If you're working remotely, if you can, you can go to the grocery store, you can go to essential goods and services, those things you should have. Mask mandate is required. Um, vaccine, not necessarily mandated, but it's a possibility. I think at the six month mark, if we've had good success, that might be a possibility we need to implement. Um, just the fact is, right, once again, cases are what cause deaths. So I understand that people are saying, oh, well, the deaths are going down. Yes, we're doing better as far as treatment. We've got you know better equipment for the hospitals. We've got, you know, we're more learned on the situation. But the fact is like, if we let this become a super spreader, just like you saw with the president, right? Like they didn't abide by the guidelines. Now they spread this all out. And, you know, thankfully nobody has died from that, but he's a 74 year old man who's obese. Like, do we think he couldn't have, is that what we're going to suggest now? Is that because, you know, this one person got lucky and didn't die from this when he has the best medical care in the world. Not everybody has that kind of medical care. We can't just say, oh, well, if the president beat it and he's old and you know a little bit fatter, then it's fine. It, it's not fine. We have to shut it down. We have to make sure that we reset to zero, give everybody the chances they need uh, to, to get medical care, and then go from there. All right. Is that time? That is time. And let me start your two minutes now. All right. So I think when it comes to lockdowns, uh, the reason why we should be highly skeptical of locking down everything in the way that you've suggested is because of opportunity cost, the unknown unknowns, what we don't know that we don't know. So there is a cost to these lockdowns as not entirely quantifiable, but is, um, it is easy to theorize and easy to start proving out over time. So think about mental health, for example. Um, and let's start with kids. So if you've got school, uh, 
you know, you're not allowed to go to school. Um, all of your school is online through Zoom. You already have a problem there with kids who are actually accustomed to using school as an escape from harmful situations at home um, or exacerbating um, damaging relationships within the home that haven't yet become harmful. So for example, let's say, um, you know, you don't have a perfect relationship between a father and his child. Um, they kind of get by on the hours that they um, exist together and uh in in a world where you're completely on zoom all the time uh there that relationship could deteriorate and so you see that at scale right now um we also don't know the impact on um relationships so there if, if you're in a romantic relationship you're more or less okay you're you're stuck there with your person maybe like divorce rates have actually gone up so that's actually potentially an unknown unknown and that might have impact on children too but if you're not um you know loneliness suicide rates um, the inability to actually meet a romantic partner or to have any sort of romantic relationship that, that has untold consequences. Um, and so basically what I'm trying to say as a wrap up is that we need to account for the unknown unknowns when it comes to these lockdowns. There's a huge, tremendously huge opportunity cost that we don't exactly know yet. And if we if we're thinking about this in terms of COVID only, like try thinking about it in terms of the flu, try thinking about it in terms Mesh, of other diseases. Thank you for your time. All right, I got cut off, <laughs> but um, I figured I had to st- just follow the, the same debate. And I'll, I'll yeah. kick off another two minutes for my for my rebuttal. So you talked about opportunity cost, right? Like there is no greater opportunity cost lost than a life lost. Like that is the biggest fact is that when we have lives that are lost, that is our biggest opportunity cost lost. The economy can be rebuilt. Um, relationships can be rebuilt or had new ones gained. Anybody who dies cannot do any of those. We are stuck there. So that still maintains that we need to do as much as we can to maximize the amount of lives saved. We need to do as much as we can to minimize the amount of virus spread. Um, also, as far as economic concerns, right, the biggest problem to our economy is when we don't know when we can recover. So whenever we don't lock down fully and don't stop it in its tracks, now we're doing this roller coaster ride, right? We're, we're open for some, and then we're closed again, and we're open for some, and then we're closed again. So that's the thing that a lockdown is also going to do. That's going to help the economic forecast if we can just stop the, stop the guesswork, stop the kind of hope and pray, and more go into the, hey, we know exactly when it's going to end. It's going to end, we'll call it December 1st as an arbitrary date. Then, then we can unlock down or it's going to be January 1st or whatever. And then businesses can make plans because right now the biggest problem we have, nobody can make any plans. We're just stuck as is. Um, and and like, like you said too, to, to kids in, in schools and everything, the reason we've been holding them out is because we don't want to spread, uh, spread the virus. We knew this was going to be a problem, right? We knew initially it's going to be a problem because nobody's ready for it. We're not prepared. But the fact is we're getting better and better at it every day. So that's another thing, just like people who are working from home and how we've been able to keep the economy going from the work from home crowd, we're going to make it to the point where children are able to do this at a much better rate. Now, it's not ideal, but the fact is, like, if we can, once again, not have it to where they're in school for a little bit and then we lock them down and they're in school for a little bit and then we lock them down, right? It's like, that is going to be the biggest thing that we can do is to make sure that they they know exactly when they're going to go back to school and know exactly what's going to happen. All right. So we're talking about spread. Okay. Let's get into some of the science of spread then. So if you look at uh, some of the science out there, there's indoor versus outdoor impact, how COVID spreads indoor versus outdoor turns out um, ultraviolet radiation does have a significant impact on 
COVID. So if you're talking about spread, um, we also have to think about, again, this is an unknown unknown, the spread that happens inside of a house. So you can actually exacerbate spread by having one person in a household catch it, bring it to a house, a household or an apartment or a duplex or whatever of eight. Um, you can actually increase local spread that way. Um, Think about the nursing homes as an example, as a, as a terrible example, um, people who are predisposed to actually dying of COVID, um, which is another thing we should bring up, which is that the average age, the median age rather of, of uh, COVID deaths is actually right at about the, um, the overall median age for death. So um, we do have to keep it in we do have to keep that into account when we're talking about this. Not that every death lost is a tragic thing, but we do have to keep that into account. I think there's a way, long story short, that we can implement uh, measures for safety to protect the most vulnerable that are that include like masks, social distancing, um, government enforcement of these things if necessary in certain locations, depending on the geography. And we can make things more outdoors in general. Um, but we don't have to shut down in order to do it. I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. Like you don't have to shut down to get these things is what I'm trying to say. And so there is a way without shutdowns that we see in Sweden, for example, um, which is a great case for this, um, where we can um, minimize the impact of, of COVID on our overall society and also minimize the number of uh, infections and therefore minimize the number of deaths. Thank you. Bish, and also mitigate the unknown unknowns. I kind of messed up. I told you the so that was our eight minutes. So that's basically our roughly segment like they would normally do. Right. Uh, yeah. That was that was interesting. I was gonna like hold thoughts till the end, but we could also talk about the the segment right now. It's up for you, whatever you'd like to do. Yeah, let's let's uh let's analyze it. So um I think you probably won that one, that exchange. Um I'll say this as as uh I guess as the counterpuncher there. Um Although you counterpunch too, but like, yeah, it, it was just, uh, it's very difficult to, to box it off as like two minutes, two minutes, two minutes, two minutes. It's kind of like, okay, you really got to have your points in line. Um, you can't do that at all, right? You just got to like yeah. high level, high level, high level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the problem with the high level, it's like, wow, man, the details really matter here, especially for a topic like COVID. So it's like, you end up getting these kind of punchy lines. I think you, you, you had the, uh, the punchier lines there. I think you're, I think that was a good example of like, um, okay, more spread equals, you know, more infection number obviously equals more kills, more deaths. So you honed in on the, the two, um, the two numbers that people care about, which I thought was really good. So it's, it, I think we see that in, in actual debates, like the presidential debates, those who get those punchy lines out generally win <laughs> the, the debate point. Um, so yeah, that's how I kind of felt was like, uh, it felt pretty boxed in, you know, it's hard to get any sort of nuance in there. So it's, it's like, if you were a ideas person, that debate format might be difficult for you because, um, which is sad because ideas really matter. <laughs> like details are what is missing right now. If nuances in short supplies, I like to say. Um, so that's yeah. kind of my overall thought. It's like, man, the debates don't really match up with what is missing in public discourse, this debate format that we just did. Yeah, and I, like we got zero details out of that, right? Because I mean, oh, it's just yeah. like it's like you you gave the high level of like why we should allow this and why we, and we should talk about like community by community and stuff like that. And I talked about just hey, we should lock down and you know pick a date something like that. And it's like we had nothing of like 
actual plans because i don't have a plan i have zero plan for like yeah. what like if you'd have pressed yeah. me i'm like okay when do we not lock down it's like uh I don't know, man. Someday. Yeah. <laughs> Someday. And my, my, my plan was super generic. It was like, well, depending on the place, you can space people out and put masks on. It's like, okay, well, that's the start of a plan, maybe. It's like not yeah. really a full plan. So like with two like, minutes, you just can't do anything, right? Like, because especially if you get too deep in the weeds and you're like, because I'm thinking back in my head too, it's like, am I going to lose somebody? Which is ridiculous because like we're doing just this short podcast. Who cares if I lose somebody with the yeah. details? But I'm trying to think of like, if I'm on stage, right? And I'm, I'm doing this as a bigger debate. It's like, what, what am I looking to do? And it's, I, I was I was really worried that you were going to come at me with like, oh, okay, so the lockdowns like will save deaths. So are we going to stop driving cars? Are we going to, you know, flu <laughs> yeah. season lockdown? I hinted at it, right? Yeah, and I couldn't even get there because I was like, oh, I'm going to run out of time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you have to just you have to focus on a point, right? Like you you either have to focus on only one point and lose all the breath, or go full breath and no depth. Like it's just yeah. a weird because like if you'd have done that right and talked more about the death rate and stuff like that. It's like, well, that's your topic. Like that's your two minutes and good luck to you, man. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was, was it, yeah, it just, man, it, it just felt like, uh, yeah, you're boxed in, um, ideas. People basically will lose those debates. Um, and it almost feels like the way to quote unquote win that debate. Cause obviously you have interest in winning in it. In it if you are a participant in it is, um, you basically have to create a tree, <laughs> <laughs> like a, a hierarchy of some sort where it's like, okay, I'm going to predict the other person's response. And it's going to be one of like six different responses. And then based off of whichever response they have, I'm going to have something already pre-planned out. So it's like, you almost have to script the whole thing in your head. Yeah. I mean, cause that's why I think Trump, like not that he's necessarily effective debater. Cause we talked about that last time, how he's really not. Cause he doesn't know what the fuck yeah. he's talking about half the time, but he just throws just random wrenches into you. Right. So if you've got this plan and that, Maybe it's why Biden works out because he doesn't have a fucking plan. He just <laughs> he has no idea where he is half the time. But it's just like he just throws these wrenches and then you get all com- like discombobulated. And it's just like I, I couldn't imagine because like I'm just thinking to say that we were doing ad hominem in there. Right. And I just you know started off with like Mesh wants people to die. He does not care about the safety of you and your family. Oh, yeah. He, you know, if I'm just throwing nonsense like that as the why you're anti shutdown. But it's like that's just. Well, one, it's worthless. Nobody gets any information out of it. But two, it's just like, it's kind of hard to debate that stuff because you, then you got to spend 30 seconds of your time talking about why you don't do this. Right. And sometimes it'll take you longer to refute than it does for them to just throw it. Yeah, the opportunity cost. And then, you know, it bleeds into other segments. I think we saw that in the VP debate, actually, where it's like, okay, well, they want to, you know, rebuke the other person for the ad hominem attack. And then they lose the time to actually answer the question itself. And then in the next segment, they go, Hey, thanks for the new question, but I'm actually going to address the old question real quick. Right. It's just like, uh, it kills. I don't know. It's, it's just, I guess I liken it to reading a bunch of headlines on like Facebook or Instagram or something on social media. This is basically having headlines read out to you and yes. all the problems with clickbait that we have today and hyperbolic crazy ass headlines is the same that we have in in these debates basically it's someone else reading them off to you but it, it felt the same it felt like the same so yeah it, it i thought two minutes was going to feel short and it feels even shorter well like yeah. while you're talking because like oh, i yeah. started talking and i look at the timer i got 30 seconds left i'm like and and <laughs> you yeah know, you're like oh, how do i, oh, how no. do I wrap it up <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I felt the same. I was like, wow, that passed by really quick. <laughs> Man, so that's what, so I guess that'll transition us to the next topic, right? We're going to yeah. do UBI. You're, pro, you're going to be the pro UBI. I'm going to be anti UBI. And now we're going to do a 5, 10, and 5. So you get five minutes to dive. Uh, I'm going to do a 10 minute rebuttal. That actually feels long, but we're going to do, we're going to go with it. We're going to see, see how it works. And then uh, five minutes for you to rebut the rebuttal, right? So I'm, I'm sure, curious yeah. how, how this will work out. Um, All right. And, and let me start. I will give you the question and then start the timer. How's that sound? So you get sure, some like yeah. time to, to flow. Yeah. All right. Mesh today, uh, a big discussion we have is universal basic income, also known as UBI. Uh, you've come out for UBI. Can you tell us a bit about your plan and why that's more effective uh, than DRush's plan? All right. So when we talk about UBI, universal basic income, it's often sold as some sort of um, like socialism or something like that. And actually really what it is, is um, you can think of it as a replacement for all of the existing um, social social programs, all the existing welfare programs. One that's better because it eliminates the cost of all the middlemen and the bureaucracy involved with the welfare programs and just puts the cash straight in your hands. Um, and the effect that that has is obviously you're, you're, yeah, you know, in a world outside of COVID, um, you're locally biased, right? You live in a city, you tend to spend the money in that city, at least for the immediate goods that you need. And so by giving you that cash that you will probably spend if you're, you know, most of the population, um, that actually infuses cashes at a low, uh, infuses um, cash into businesses at a local level and probably disproportionately affects um, the, the more poverty stricken uh, areas of our country, because those are the ones most likely to spend that cash. So there is that effect of um, there's a potential to get way more efficient with our social safety net, with the universal basic income. Another thing that's a, a huge concern for some of the poor areas, poor areas of our country is um, what we call technological unemployment. So um, as technology advances, especially AI, um, all the more repetitive jobs and more manual labor, um, all of those are replaceable and they're replaceable in a way that is um, kind of alarming. It's like, okay, when you hire a human, you have to take into account all the human needs, you know, they might have children, they have to give them time off. They have holidays, they have weekends, they have benefits, they have healthcare, they might get sick. Um, they might go through ups and downs in their productivity just based off of their mental mindset. All this other stuff with a machine um you know there's some maintenance um but otherwise you can get something pretty steady and something that upgrades over time too by the way so we have technological unemployment and that's for blue and white collar jobs and so this would help us to figure out our whole situation with technology this technology is going to impact us we're not going to be able to fight it off uh, we're going to have to transition our economy over time UBI gives us the opportunity to transition it easier by guaranteeing um, some level of employment or at least some um, some minimum um, safety net for those that are most likely to be affected until we can figure out what we should do in the future. Um, also, speaking about um, what we should do in the future, there are a lot of people who have um, abusive relationships um, and one of the things that UBI could do for those people's future is it gives them the ability to leave abusive relationships. There's a true social um, 
cost to especially children being stuck in, in bad relationships um, between parents. And so the UBI could have a potential impact in the way that it could help resettle and reorganize um, family units um, that are disproportionately affected by domestic issues. Um, another kind of interesting topic I think we should bring up is um, the middle class. So one of the things we've noticed, uh, you know, it started with the the 99% movement, the Tea Party movement, we kind of see the the populist and the nationalists, um, and even some of the the you know anarchists, um, kind of basically espousing this. But like the, the middle class is kind of gone. We need a way to bring it back, and I think UBI is is one way to help us bring it back. Um, the UBI will help to uh, reduce the range, reduce the gap between the wealthiest one percent and the the poorest, you know, ten percent. Let's say um, by infusing um, cash in, into into the those that are most affected by poverty. So I think this is a way to expand the middle class, um, which of course is is kind of what our economy is built around is having a robust middle class. So it brings us back in line with our overall economic goals. Um, I also think it will raise wages. Um, you have to beat the UBI to hire people. Uh, otherwise, it won't ha- you won't have the incentive. So it could have an, an impact on um, what the low end of wages look like. Um, and I do want to say one more quick thing. Um, it could impact um, dropout rates in schools. So it gives students the abilities to, again, local community stuff. This gives students the ability to stay in school, um, whether that's by helping their parents out or helping them out if they're of a certain age. Um, and I think that could only benefit society at scale if you have more educated people into the workforce. Thank you, Mitch, for your time. So I'm going to go through your points one at a time for the most part, but I am going to talk first on why UBI is not something that's even really been approached in a lot of other places. And that's because it sounds great conceptually, but it's just not going to work in practice. So let's go through it, right? So you, you talked about the the poverty areas where it's going to get hit. Um, well, one of the things that's going to happen in those poverty areas, right, is that they inherently have not done well with money. And they're already on the programs that you need to to, to get money, right, to get extra so, uh, resources, get extra funds. Um, they go through that money already. So if you just translate it to UBI, you're not actually fixing the problem, right? You're transitioning the way we do stuff. You might reduce a little bit of bureaucracy. And I'm not 100% sold that that's going to be true in the long term. But so now you've just kind of moved the way they get money. You haven't really changed the proportionment in which they get. You haven't elevated them out of the poverty status. So now we've just kind of moved the problem around. And now you've also made a bigger problem, which is that everybody is in theory going to get this UBI, right? That's the the main thing I see with UBI is that everybody would get some and then they would just pay taxes on it, right? If you made $400,000 a year and you got UBI, you would just pay basically you'd get taxed enough that the UBI would just get taken away from you, right? And if you're a millionaire, a billionaire, whatever, you, the tax just proportionally goes up to where that basically just doesn't go into your pocket. That's the theory. And if you're poor, obviously the, the money just goes into your pocket. Um, what I would say to that is that it feels like if we're really trying to get it to a certain portion of the public, tax credits are a way better way of doing that, right? You don't need to do UBI. You can just say, hey, if you make less than 25000 you're not getting taxed. Right. Or if you make under a certain amount, we could just raise the tax thresholds. Or if we want to incentivize a certain thing that we are purchasing, then we could say, hey, if you purchase this, you will get a tax credit. 
right? Like you'll just have your taxes basically wiped off for that and you just get that money back, right? So for example, if we want to do with medical care, give a hundred dollar tax credit a month, if they spend it on medical care, they just get that hundred dollars back from the taxes they owe at the end of the year. Like that's, that to me is a better way of doing this. Um, the next one I kind of want to talk about is the technological unemployment. I agree in theory, there could be some technological unemployment in the future, except I don't think it's near as vast as people want to say, right? Like the, the old adage is that the is that even though we replaced cars or uh, replaced horse and buggy with cars, right? It's like the people still had jobs. Like this is just a thing is that there's always more problems to solve, right? So any innovation we make almost always inevitably leads actually to more jobs, not less jobs. Because in theory, to have less jobs, you'd have to have less problems. So say that we automate some of the low-skilled workers uh, such that they don't need to to have their employment anymore, right? Like you said, we replace them with robots. They don't need insurance. They don't need uh, days off, et cetera. You go and they're cheaper, easier to work with. You just run a program, easier to update. Great. The suggestion here is that they would not have any other jobs. Well, as far as I understand it, if you are working one of those types of jobs, it's like, well, we have a ton of things that need to be fixed up around like construction, me mechanics, um, just different areas of work where everybody needs, like we still have the, the space for low-skilled wages that isn't going to be automated anytime soon, right? That's the next area of automation we need to touch on. Um, next topic, I'm just going to kind of keep going through them, right? Because I can talk a lot about how UBI is just not what it's all cracked up to be because the next thing is, say that you start with $1,000, well, $1,000 where, right? $1,000 in Oklahoma is way different than $1,000 in New York. So like what happens to the people who are poor in New York? They basically just get shafted. Or if you're a person in Oklahoma and we say, hey, you know, you get 2,000 because that's what it is in New York. Oh, great. So you live like a king, right? Like you get to live better than you would for most part. So it's like, are we going to have proportionality? And if we do, that's, that's probably easy enough. We can do that. Like how does the tax stuff work on that as well, right? It's like we're adding a lot of bureaucracy so, so to have it say that we're going to reduce bureaucracy, I'm not 100% sold on that yet. There's a lot of things we got to figure out. It's grand, grand as a concept, not necessarily perfect as a as an implementation. Um, back to back to your point about abusive relationships, that seems possibly apt to me. But the thing I've seen uh, in a lot of studies show, like with an abusive relationships, right? It's like people don't want to leave because of the emotional connection. So it's not necessarily even a financial thing because. Most people can find the finances, not not necessarily as cash in hand, but there's battered women's shelters. Um, there's actually just abusive relationship shelters in general, right? Even for men who are abused, um, police protection, food stamps, um, different like social workers programs who can like give you give you money for food, electricity, water, things like that. So the problem there is not necessarily the money, which I can agree that UBI in theory could help with, but realistically, the money is not the problem today. So I don't know how UBI is really going to solve that problem long term, right? That's a more of an emotional problem. That's more of a, a problem with the way that, that people address stuff in general. Um, next onward, too, is like the middle class. The middle class is probably the one who's going to get screwed the most out of this. We're going to have taxes to raise the UBI. And guess what? The rich are going to avoid those taxes. It's a tried and true method. Anytime you add a tax, the rich will avoid it. Just fact of life. The middle class pay a lot of the taxes, right? So that's that's where it's like, to get the UBI that they're then going to get taxed on so that they don't even get to keep the UBI that in theory they're getting, right? It's like the free college program. It's free and except that you have to pay for it. Um, so I just don't see that on the middle class. The middle class need jobs, right? They're the skilled laborers. They're the ones who need the more jobs. So automation of these jobs doesn't hurt them necessarily, but the UBI does because of the way the tax is going to have to work in order for them to 
to pay UBI through the system. It's going to have to come out of their pockets. Um, also, it's going to inflate the, the, the lower class, which is going to bring them closer to the middle class. And as we've seen in, in li like the last 30 years or more, it's like whenever you bring the classes closer together, which sounds ideal, it actually causes it to be more of the downward spiral than it does the upward. It's not like we're lifting the lower class into the middle class and then the middle up to the upper. We actually end up lowering the lower class and the upper is just shielded from all of this. So that's the big problem from the middle class perspective is that you're not going to raise them up. You're actually going to bring them closer to the lower while keeping the lower roughly at the same spot they're at. Um, so the beat UBI to hire, I think that's a fair point. I actually do agree with that for the most part. You are going to have to pay more than that. Uh, but then you've actually enhanced the need for automation. So you've got a self-fulfilling prophecy there. So now that UBI is here and you got to pay more than UBI in order to get it, that automation you need to impose is now way more sane to do because like you already have to pay a ton for workers. Well, what's a ton plus one to get the robots in, right? Whereas if you didn't have UBI, you could actually just rework the minimum wage and you could set up where you could hire workers who are willing to work for less than $7 an hour, $6 an hour, whatever it's, it's worth it to them to work. And that's how you get, get workers. And I know that goes more onto minimum wage than UBI, but UBI essentially becomes your minimum wage at that point because you, you, you can't work for less than that. It wouldn't make any sense, right? You wouldn't work for something that pays very little because you already get on UBI. You've already got very little. Who cares? Um, next with schools, I don't see that one. That one's the one where it's, yes, in theory, it should help out. And this is why I say in theory, it should help families who now don't need the extra support of their kids working as opposed to just being able to go to school, right? We've all heard the tales. Um, there are kids that definitely have to work because their family is poor and they need the extra money. And so they drop out of, the, out of school early. But UBI, like I said, doesn't really address that because all you're doing is changing the social programs. We have a lot of social programs to make sure that doesn't happen today. The, the problem is not the lack of social programs and money that's going to it. It's the way that we, we've addressed the culture, the fact that we don't push jobs into those, those areas. And even with automation, if we were going to automate jobs, if we would move factories into those low, low income areas, we could create jobs because the construction is still the non-automated part. And then the automated part, yes, that's a lifelong job that's gone. But if we're constructing more jobs, we've given more jobs to that area to now make it a, a higher, higher income, uh, like raise them, actually raise them up closer to the middle class or instill them into the middle class. And that's what's going to help schools and dropout prevention. Um, that's the main keys of this. Um, just also the next one, the biggest problem with UBI is see when does it, who comes in next and says, actually, you know what? A thousand is not enough. Let's go to 1200. Let's go to 1600. Let's go to 3000, right? You're always going to have someone who one ups it because we already have that with social programs today. People talk about how, oh, we need more than just, you know, the, this welfare state and we need, we need more into food stamps. We need more into Medicaid. We need more into whatever. It's like, that's going to be even easier to come up with just a number and just inflate because people can use platitudes today when they say, oh, we should make more money into Medicaid. And then it's just a big blob of stuff, right? Nobody actually knows what it is. They all just agree and go on. But now as soon as there's a number and you can say, hey, you know what? It shouldn't be 1,200. It should be 1,400. It should be 1,800. Now all of a sudden you've got a massive problem on your hands because now everybody's just going to come in and inflate that number regardless of what the actual inflation is. And regardless of how they can actually tax it, so that's going to fall back on the middle class to cover that or our grandkids to actually pay back long term. Like I, that's when it comes to UBI. I just don't see it. It seems like there's a lot of pitfalls for not a lot of gains from my side.
All right. You got five. All right. So let me start with one thing um, that, that you mentioned. So you mentioned the uh, relativity between like, say, Jackson, Mississippi and Los Angeles, like a thousand bucks stretches different ways there. So I actually think that's a pro for UBI that you mentioned there, because I, I think we need to incentivize moving away from big cities. Like not everyone needs to live in a big city. There's a ton of homeless people in every big city. Um, there's a ton of people that are kind of stuck there. They don't have the means to move. Um, UBI gives us the ability to scale out an approach that allows us to build up the rural areas, build up the smaller urban areas, build up the suburban areas, um, to spread ourselves further across, um, more, more distributed and, uh, yeah, just a more distributed method around the entire United States. So it's like, we'll, we'll be able to put our population in more areas and utilize our land in a better way, frankly. So I think that's actually a pro. Another thing I want to, I want to kind of get at is we kind of have to think about like the big picture here for the United States. So we're in competition with China, whether or not we want to admit it, um, to be the world's premier superpower. And I think it does matter for us to be the world's premier superpower. I think our freedom kind of hinges on that actually. And so if you want to do that, we have to really think about our population. Like we need to be able to replace ourselves, you know, when we die. And also we need to be able to actually potentially even increase our population in order to, um, to compete with the labor force that is China, especially one that is as efficient being it's a, it's a monoculture with a, a very heavy and successful top-down um, government. So uh, you need to incentivize kind of the undignified and the un, um, unpaid work out there. And that is, that includes, you know, motherhood and parenthood in general. UBI gives you the ability to do that. And um, so I think unless there's something else that's better out there, it's like you need a way to universally um, fund uh, something that is extremely pertinent to the future of the nation, which is the ability not only to replace ourselves, but to generate a labor force that can compete with the next generation of world superpowers to preserve our freedom and to preserve our country. So I actually think that you need to incentivize these type of things um, at a local level. Um, and I think that actually plays hand in hand with my point about spreading out the population more evenly and distributed across the nation too. That will those two things will actually help each other out. Um, uh, so one other thing I wanted, I wanted to bring up um, in terms of, of the tax amount. So I, I don't think we should tax UBI. I think UBI should be given universally to everybody. Um, I don't think we should tax it for, for um, the higher end folks that get the UBI, um, that's more money for them to invest. That's more money for them to pass along in a, in a, in a top-down way. Um, that's more money for them to take riskier ventures. That's good money to put into the economy in some sort of way. Um, remember that UBI also opens up investing for some folks as well. So there's a whole cycle of stuff that could happen there that's extremely beneficial. Um, and I'm, I'm really not all that, I, I guess I'm not in sync with 100% um, with you on um, what this does for the middle class. like. Uh, I want to point to Iran, where in 2010, um, government of Iran actually ran a UBI trial. Um, they gave them, I think, 29% of the medium income each month. Um, all measures kind of showed that poverty and inequality were reduced 
Um, there were no like large amounts of people leaving the labor market to go elsewhere. Um, people were using it to invest in businesses. Um, it helped out small businesses, um, helped out local economies. So there seems to be some, um, some merit to at least trying out UBI. Um, again, I, I hearken back to my points about helping out local economies. Um, I think um, there's also an untold cost on what it could benefit us as like, think about um, mental health, stress, uh, physical health, all these things that people have difficulty affording. Um, we are incentivizing it directly with cash. Um, and you could reduce the burden on several other parts of our federal government spending by doing that, by implementing UBI. So I think um, I also want to, to, to further that point, like there are unknown unknowns that we could solve by putting the cash directly in the hands of people. Um, allowing them to afford things that they couldn't otherwise afford and reducing um, dependency uh, and stress on other um, federal government programs. So that, that was time. That was interesting. I, that, I don't know how you felt on the five minutes for 10. I'm just like, Oh my God, I gotta, I gotta find some, some time for stuff. It's like, well. there's enough to talk about. Right. But it's yeah. like, you, how do you order it? Yeah. It. How do you order it? Where do I go from? Like, do I just a attack the stuff you did? Do I make my own points? And then too, it's like, if I get on a, on a tangent or not a tangent necessarily, but if I get to deep diving, it's still the same kind of two minute problem, right? Of like now I've broken it into like five, two minute sections. And yeah. maybe that's just cause I'm not, I'm not used to debating, right? This is kind of just a, a thought exercise for us more than anything, Yeah. but it, it felt like 10 was almost too long. I don't know. how do you feel about five? I thought five felt pretty good. I felt pretty comfortable. I felt like I could dive in a little bit. Um, you know, we're, we're winging it. So um, it gives me a little bit of breathing room to step back, be like, okay, I have an idea. Okay. Now I, I kind of got it. Um, yeah. I like the five, the 10, I did not envy you there. Uh, it felt, it felt like it was pretty difficult. I thought you had a good approach there of let's go counterpoint. Cause I did have some spelled out points um, basically. And you were able to, go in and counter each one. And that gave you kind of a framework for your 10 minutes, but it, it did feel pretty lengthy. It put, I think this format honestly put more pressure on the counter puncher, um, which I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. It's I, like, if you're, if you're going to counter punch, it's so easy. Here's the thing. It's like, it's hard to generate ideas, but it's so freaking easy to tear them down and to criticize them and not provide an alternative. And I think you need more time because you have two things that you have to do. You have to criticize it and then you have to provide some meaningful alternatives. Yeah. And it's like, I 100% yeah. agree. Cause like you said, it's, so there's a con to everything, right? Like whatever you do, there's always a con. There's no perfect solution. There's only trade-offs. Um, another, I think Thomas Sowell, Sowell quote, but it's like, I think you, you bring up a good point of what I didn't feel like I did there is like, I felt like I counterpointed too much and I didn't really lay out my plan. That's non UBI. Yeah, maybe right? maybe not. And, yeah. And then I thought too, like, as soon as you got your rebuttal, like you pointed out to such a great measure of like, yeah, that's the point that it's a thousand dollars is different in like Kansas versus LA or whatever. Right. Because now we're actually enhancing these communities that have lower income and have, have like bigger problems. Right. Is because like they already work at a lower lower cash flow level. So it actually enhances them even further. And it's like, shit, that is a good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so so it's like, like, yeah, I, I, 
I actually enjoyed that quite a bit in comparison to the other one. I I think if we were to do that again, like because this was you know our first time doing this, and I was just scrambling for thoughts, and you were scrambling for thoughts. And I'm not a matter expert on either of these. Just to, you know, it's yeah. like I have a basic concept of what they are. We the more thought experiment on the structure, not necessarily the content, right? Yeah, this, this is more about the structure. But I think if we were to actually embed ourselves in the content, become more versed in the content and then do the structure again, both you and I might enjoy this type of debate framework much more than the previous one. Yeah, I think the two is just, I'm out on. Like I've seen it happen with presidential, it sucks. I've done it, it sucks. Well, I mean done it like as in one time, right? But yeah, it, even for stuff that I have some kind of content on, it's like, that would suck. Two minutes is just not enough time to get in anywhere. And I don't know that 510.5 is like the perfect solution, but uh, you know, maybe like a five, seven and a half, five, I think is not bad. And like you said, just kind of put the the emphasis on the the counterpuncher, right? If you're gonna if you're gonna show the cons in my argument, you sure as hell better be able to point out the cons and why yours is good, right? That's the extra two and a half minutes. So yeah, yeah, I I think there's something to this format, right? That five, ten, five might not be the times. Maybe it's six, seven, six, you know, whatever, right? It's some numbers, but I think the longer form is is the clear winner here from my my personal take. Yeah, I think so too. Um, it's definitely, if you think about like, you know, hundred million people watching or something like that, that's where it gets a little tricky. It's like, how do you keep their attention? It's, it's a lot of this potential deep diving. It's focusing on one person for quite a bit of time. You know, it's not as quick as at, at switching between people. So there's some valid, you know, concerns about that. If you're, you're trying to scale it out to hundred million people watching. Um, <laughs> but that's but, even a problem in itself, right? Like, yeah. are we trying to make the debates watchable or informative? Right? Those are not the two same, same things. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I think it's kind of a balance, honestly. And it kind of lets yeah. people who, who are so comfortable with their ideas or their, their counter ideas shine because it's like, well, if you're really good at it and you really have thought deeply about it and, and you're a good public speaker and you're, you know, someone that's really meant to, to corral people and run, run for office. It's like, this might actually give you the, the opportunity to shine. It's like, wow, that was an interesting five minutes, even for most of the hundred million people that, that means you're probably pretty qualified to be on that stage talking about that subject matter in that way. Yeah. So I, it, it might give more room for people to shine if they can capture the attention of people in that, in that time. Like that's, that's a good, dare I say, presidential quality. <laughs> I, th I think that is a good note to wrap up on is like the presidential yes, quality of being able to talk for more than two minutes and actually still engage people right still have people <laughs> believe in your concept and make some damn sense oh well that's that's gonna be <laughs> i might be asking too much yeah i, I don't know which like which election you've looked at or that was yeah. valid but yeah all right well yeah on that note um i hope you guys out there I hope you all enjoyed the um, the debate structure uh, podcast that we just put up. Uh, like, subscribe, share, contact us. Um, we are Click and Obey. We're on Facebook. We're on all the major podcasting platforms. Um, and let us know if there's anything that we can do that would get us more of your attention. Um, we're always looking for new ideas. We're looking for feedback from the folks that follow us. Um, and I hope that this podcast around debates kind of gave us, gave you guys a little more perspective on um, 
how the actual structure of the debate can actually affect how how ideas land on people at scale. So uh, with that said, D-Rush, take it easy. And everyone out there, keep safe and stay in touch. Stay in tune. Peace. Peace.